You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. A little bit better. As you can see, we're moving through our series that we're calling Warriors. Series that we're calling Warriors. If you weren't here with us last week, just so you can catch up, that was the kind of the intro to the whole series. Some of what we say today might not fully make sense or might be hard to grasp. If you didn't hear the sermon last week, we'd love for you to go to the website, midtowntunash.com. You can find that website posted there. Again, if you join us for any part of the series, that one is one that you want to make sure that you, that you listen to so that we're all on the, on the same page with what we're talking about here. You can go ahead and turn uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We won't start reading there yet, but you can go ahead and get get turned there. That's the first verse that will, or the first two verses that we'll be in today. One of the most dangerous diseases that our world has experienced is, the, is a disease called leprosy. Leprosy is a disease, it, it doesn't just hurt you, but it, it damages your nervous system so that you're not able to feel pain. Pain is what allows you to, to know when you're in danger or when something's wrong. So leprosy uh, re- prevents you from being able to feel pain. So it's dangerous not just because it hurts you, but it's also dangerous because you won't flee from or fight against something else that's hurting you because you won't know it. Leprosy is extremely dangerous. Your hand could be burning and you wouldn't know it if you had leprosy because it desensitizes you to what is hurting you, what is harming you. So you don't protect yourself. I'm doing this, we're doing this series partly because I believe that we're often spiritual lepers. I believe we're often desensitized to the things that are harming us, the things that are preventing us from living and prospering spiritually the way that God has called us to. Someone who I would refer to as a spiritual leper can't tell when the enemy is leading them away from the life that God is calling them to. They can't tell that they aren't living like they have already been given victory, and instead they're walking in defeat without even knowing it. They can't tell that they are missing out on so much joy in the Lord because they've been desensitized to the fact that there's even a fight in the first place. It's very dangerous to be in this place spiritually. To be in a place spiritually where you have accepted what I would call spiritual defeat when victory has already been given to us. See, the enemy right now, he doesn't have true power and control over us. We, we have already been set free from slavery to sin. What he does is he gets us to believe that we're still enslaved and gets us to live as if we are still enslaved. And if we are desensitized to the fight that is going on, we will believe his lies. This is very dangerous, right? If you, if you are in a place where you're fighting for joy and peace and contentment in the Lord, that's a very dangerous place to be. Because we all know that God calls us to, sa- to sacrifice a lot of things that we might believe actually give us true joy and happiness. So if you're not fighting for true joy in him, then you're sacrificing the things that you believe will make you happy, and you're not getting any type of joy from the thing you're, ex- you're exchanging it for. So now you're in a spiritual place of what's the point? Why am I even doing this? I'm exchanging. I'm giving up all these things that I believe will actually make me happy, and I'm not getting any joy in return for what I'm exchanging it for. Very dangerous place to be spiritually, could lead you to begin asking, why am I even doing this? Why would I even continue to sacrifice these things if I'm not receiving any joy and peace in my mind and in my heart 
in exchange. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. It is important that we know how to fight for everything that God has for us. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. So we're saying run away from, uh, if you read the verses before, he's telling them run away from sin and things like the love of money and that type of thing. Tells them what to pursue. And then in verse 12, he tells a little bit of what that looks like. Fight the good fight of faith. We are in pursuit of what God has for us. We are fleeing and running away from sin. I want want to make sure we understand. He uses the term fight the good fight for faith. There's a ruggedness to the Christian life. There's a a toughness. There's a resiliency to faith in Christ if we are walking in it as we are called to. Paul describes the Christian life as a fight of faith. Paul tells us to fight a good fight. He tells us to fight well. Now, I think there are many things that are involved in, in fighting well. You need strength. You need endurance. You need skill. Potentially, depending on the type of fight, you need training. You're going to need some form of aggression in you. You need a lot of things. But I think there's one thing specifically that's been on my heart that I believe has been preventing us from fighting the good fight of faith, as Paul would have us to. Something that I think might be preventing that more than anything else that I can think of. I'm titling this sermon, Losing Your Fight. Losing your fight. I'm not talking about losing in the battle that you're in. I'm not talking about being defeated when I say losing your fight. I'm talking about losing the fight that's in you. I'm talking about when you got no fight left in you, when you have lost the will to fight. I'm talking about what I call spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy. Apathy, when you have lost the will to continue fighting the good fight, as Paul would say. I would define apathy, or actually I looked it up. It says a lack of feeling, emotion, enthusiasm, or concern. A lack of feeling, emotion, enthusiasm, or concern. I'm talking about when you don't even care to fight anymore. When you know what you're supposed to do, but you can't get yourself to do the thing that you're supposed to do. When you know what you're called to, when you know what you're supposed to be fighting for, and all you got is, meh, meh. When you know it would be good for you to get up and come to a worship service like this one, when you know it would be good for you to fellowship and share your life with other members of the faith, when you know it would be good for you to spend time reading and meditating on and studying your Bible, when you know it would be good for you to pour your heart out to God continually in prayers, you pray without ceasing, but all you got is, meh, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, I'm busy, I got other things to do. I don't feel like it, I don't want to. I know it would be good for me, but I just don't have the energy. I don't have the drive. I don't have the fight in me to do what I know I need to do. As Meredith talked about in the video, I know I need to go be reconciled with my brother and sister. I know I need to fast more and pursue more physical and spiritual discipline. I know I need to reach out to this brother and sister who hasn't been around in a while, and I need to check on them. I know I need to spend time greeting and welcoming and being hospitable to this visitor that is with us, but I don't know. I don't, I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me today. You've been there before, right? Spiritual apathy. 
And this is different from what I introduced last week, right? Last week, what I introduced was when, when we're asleep to the fight, there's this cosmic battle going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, and we, we're just not aware that it's going on. This is different. This is when we know, we know we're aware of the fight. We know what we should be doing, but we feel like we just don't have it in us to do it. Apathy is when you know you're in the fight, but you don't have the fight in you to continue on. This is the husband that sees areas of spiritual immaturity and weakness in himself and in his family, but is too lazy to step up and lead his family well as God has called him to. This is that time when you know people in the faith, maybe in our church, maybe in your life group, that need prayer in the worst way, but you just don't feel like praying for them. This is the time when you've been spiritually dry for months and you kind of miss what you used to have and the joy in the Lord that you used to have. But now you're really starting not even to care as much as you used to. My favorite excuse, sarcasm, for this spiritual apathy and just wallowing in it and not fighting against it is, well, I mean, I don't want to be fake. I mean, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my word. And I feel like if I do it now, then I'll just be being fake. Family, that is ridiculous. I know I'm unhealthy. I know this is what will make me healthy, but I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like it because that would be being fake. That is ridic- that's, like, that's like if someone you cared about came up to you and was like, I know I need to eat. I know I need to eat. But I just don't feel like it. And I got to be true to myself because I'm on this whole you know, self-actualization movement and all this type of stuff. And I know I, I want to be true to myself, so I'm just not going to eat because I don't want to be fake. You would say, I don't care how you feel. I don't care if you feel fake eating food. You need to eat. Consistently being disciplined in studying and meditating on God's word and praying and pouring your heart out to God when you don't feel like it is not being fake. It's being godly. It's being godly. It's not being fake. It's really being true to the true to who God truly made you to be if you're in him. You live with conflicting desires inside of you. You can't act like just because you don't feel like it. That's the only essence of what your identity is. You've been made new in Christ to push through the apathy. It's actually living out who you truly are and who you've been made to be. To think that it would be fake to push through that and still spend time in God's word and spend time in prayer. What it really reveals is that you believe what the enemy says about you more than what God says about you. You believe that what the enemy says about you is who you actually are. And that's why it feels fake to do what God has called you to do. It's an identity issue. It's an identity issue. It is who you are listening to. Apathy is very difficult to fight. How do you fight the thing that is keeping you from wanting to fight? How do you fight when you don't have fight left? How do you make yourself want to fight when you don't want to? It's so difficult, we're often hopeless against our apathy. It's like, why are you not doing this? Name a, pick a spiritual discipline. Why are you not doing this? I don't know. I've just been feeling apathetic about it. And that's the end of the conversation. Nobody questions it. I don't know. I've just been feeling apathetic. Oh, yeah, I've been there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Which is fine to do. It's fine to relate in that way. Many Christians would never say this, but functionally, we believe that apathy is that one thing that we can't really beat. We're so used to letting apathy rule and reign over us and dominate us and let it ruin us that we just have accepted that this is the way that it's going to be. Well, I'm apathetic. There's nothing I can do about that. 
And then it becomes compounding, right? When you believe that lie, it becomes compounding because now I'm apathetic by being apathetic. And now I know I'm hopeless. But Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. My hope, my prayer is that 1 Timothy 6, verse 12 that we already read will ring loudly in our minds and in our hearts and every one of us that struggles with this spiritual apathy, that we will be reminded every day, fight the good fight of faith, that we are warriors. And whether or not we feel like it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter when it's wartime. Whether or not you feel like it, if there is a war that is being fought, whether or not you feel like it does not matter, it does not factor into the equation of your actions when you're at war. So when you wake up in the morning or whatever time of day works for you and you don't feel like making time to just sit and be with Jesus, fight the good fight of faith. When you know you need to pray but you're discouraged because every time you pray you feel like your mind just wanders, fight the good fight of faith and do it again. When you don't want to get dressed or do whatever to maybe come out to a worship service or come to life group, fight the good fight of faith. When you feel like you're just spiraling downhill and you don't know how to pull yourself out, call up a brother or sister in the faith, tell them what's going on and ask them to help you fight the good fight of faith. I think we often judge spiritual maturity incorrectly. If faith is indeed a fight, as Paul says, that it is, then part of the way we need to be thinking about our spiritual maturity is how committed we are to fighting. Right? Part of the way we should be thinking about how mature we are is by asking the question, am I committed to fighting? Do I give up easily when it's difficult? I'll give you an example of what I mean. There are some people in this room right now who it's a fight for you to come in here on Sunday mornings. There's some of you who it's very easy for you to come. Some of your best friends are here. You love singing and worshiping. You love spending time in God's Word. But for some of you, it's a fight. For those of us that it's a fight for us to be here, and I, and I relate to some degree. When I, growing up, I had some degree of social anxieties myself. And I know we have people in our church who have social anxieties as well. Being in a room even this size is a fight. Like, you've got to be prayed up just to come in on a Sunday morning. Right. So we have to be very careful especially when we try to understand the spiritual maturity of other people, when all we can see is the outside and we don't know the fights that they are dealing with because it requires more spiritual maturity for some of us to come in here than it does for others because for some of us it's easy and for some of us it's a fight. To explain my point, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God sees what no one else sees. He sees every bit of fight and every bit of struggle that you engage in for his glory. He knows how difficult every step you've ever taken is. We can have a tendency that because somebody doesn't struggle with the way that I struggle to think that I'm more mature than they are because I don't know their fight and they don't know your fight. God sees the heart. Some of you are fighting battles right now. You feel like no one understands. You feel like no one sees. Maybe you shared it with other people. Maybe you have not shared it with other people. I want to encourage you. God sees and God understands your fight. He's seen every ounce of struggle that you've put into walking with him. And every time you choose to fight for his glory, that you might know him more and walk more diligently and more closely with him, it honors him as king when you fight, especially when it's difficult. It honors him as king. I want to give two quick encouragements for us. If that's you right where you're at, then I'll jump back into where I was going. Keep sharing with people that you're in fellowship with. 
Don't run to isolation. That's not the answer. Right? If you're here, you're in a fight, and you feel like no one understands and no one gets it, don't run to isolation. That will make it worse. That will make it worse. Keep sharing with other people. Keep sharing it with God. He understands. Pour out your heart to him daily. Pray without ceasing and share your heart with him. Give him your cares, your anxiety, your stress. He is present. He is near. He understands. And he understands fighting more than anybody. He's been fighting against the kingdom of darkness since Genesis 3. He understands fighting more than anybody. He understands persisting in fight more than anybody. He's been fighting for you. To, he's been fighting for your stubborn self to trust him since you've been born and still fighting for it. He understands fighting. Talk to him. Know that he is near. Know that he cares and that he understands that he is your companion and your strength as you fight. He is your refuge. Walk with him through your struggle and know that his presence is near through every bit of it. God is honored in your fighting. Don't ever give up fighting. Now, there's two different ways that we can look at fighting against apathy. I want to categorize it as fighting proactively and fighting reactively. Right? Reactively would be when I feel apathy, that's when it's on my radar, and that's when I try to intentionally fight against it. That's being reactive. The difference between proactive and reactive is reactive fighting would be like if you have some form of like heart disease, you take medicine for it. Proactive fighting is exercising and eating right, so hopefully you don't get heart disease, right? Understood? So we can fight reactively and we can fight proactively. Now, obviously, if you're in the middle of it, if you actually do have heart disease, you need to do both, the medicine and the exercise and eating right. I want to make sure we're fighting both proactively and reactively to our own apathy, because if you're only responding and reacting to your apathy, you're limiting yourself and how you can walk in victory over it if you're not fighting proactively as well. I want to try to explain two proactive ways that we can fight against our apathy today. It's go- These two ways are going to require a lot of introspection. It's probably not the, the sermon that will make you shout the most. This is something I want to invite you to spend time considering and thinking about because I don't have the time that I feel like I need to explain everything as thoroughly as I want to. But we'll do our best. The first way to proactively fight against apathy is to grieve the harm done by the kingdom of darkness. Grieve the harm done by the kingdom of darkness. Actively, intentionally grieve the harm that is done by the kingdom of darkness. I said that apathy is a lack of emotion and enthusiasm and concern. The truth of the matter is oftentimes we intentionally and unintentionally consciously and subconsciously prefer to suppress or ignore or deny the painful emotions that we experience. During many of the times in cultures when the Bible was written, they had people who were professional mourners. This was their vocation. This was their career. In times of grief, they would go to people's homes and intentionally weep with them to help them endure and get through and persist in the grieving process because they knew that that would be healthy for them. They were intentional career grievers and mourners. They had an understanding of the depth of the grieving process. Their world didn't move as quickly as ours does. For them, it wasn't always move from one task to the next task, and anything that slows you down in the process, you need to remove from your life. That's not how they live. They took time to feel, to sit with their grief. They hired people in times of mourning to come in and help them. 
We want to be able to experience the joys of life without the sadness today. We want the height of excitement and joy without the lows of grief. We want to be able to have the drive and passion to fight without allowing ourselves to feel our hurt and pain, which gives us reason to fight. I'll say that again. We want to be able to have the drive and passion to fight without allowing ourselves to feel our hurt and pain that gives us the reason to fight. We don't realize that in a fallen world, you can't have one without the other. The reason we fight is because there is darkness. If you weren't here last week, again, please listen to the sermon. We got into it. I can't go fully into it today. The darkness that came into the world is why God became a warrior, right? He was a king establishing his reign on the earth. Everything was peaceful. He was not fighting until the enemy showed up and started corrupting his good creation. That's when he became a warrior. It's because of the darkness, It's because of the corruption. It's because how everything got tainted and messed up because of the kingdom of darkness. If you suppress your painful emotions and distract yourself from them and try to pretend like things aren't as bad as they actually are or that you're not sad or that you're not grieving, you're not going to have the sufficient amount of motivation and anger to be the type of warrior that God calls you to be. Christian, you need to be angry about what the kingdom of darkness is doing around you. You need passion. You need anger. And if you're going to experience that, you need hurt and pain. You need grief. You need to allow yourself to experience pain from what the kingdom of darkness is doing. If you don't allow yourself to lament, lament is the the, the feeling and expressing of deep sorrow and grief. If you don't allow yourself to lament and feel the pain and loss from injustice in our world. If you don't allow yourself to lament people not knowing Jesus in your family, if you don't allow yourself to lament and grieve people not knowing Jesus in our city, if you don't allow yourself to lament and grieve the pain and loss from all who suffer and are downtrodden in impoverished communities along Tunash Road, if you don't allow yourself to lament and grieve the trouble in your marriage and all the effects that the kingdom of darkness has around us, you will walk in an ungodly spiritual apathy. You will commit the sin of indifference towards things that you should care about. The sin of indifference. The sin of I just don't care like I should. The sin of the things that break God's heart don't break my heart. The sin of the things that make God angry don't make me angry. Can I express to you that there is nobody in all of Scripture that's more emotional and angry than God? Yes, we have to be careful with anger because anger can lead us, if we are given to anger and controlled by anger, can lead us to do things that are ungodly. But it's also, we have to be careful and understand that it is also ungodly if we do not have anger towards the things that God is angry about. This is also ungodly. You need to be angry. If you can see all of the injustice in this world, all of the pain, all of the abuse, all of the oppression that exists in this world and not grieve and not be angry, you do not walk in a way that follows your God. We need anger. How can we be warriors if we do not have anger, godly anger? If I can be honest with us today, I believe the kingdom of darkness loves for us as Christians to distract ourselves and have many things at our disposal that can distract ourselves from sitting with our grief. I believe the kingdom of darkness loves it. 
that we can just avoid and we can numb ourselves and we can pretend that it's not actually as bad as it is because all I have to do to disengage from reality is pull out my phone and scroll in my timeline. I can disengage from all of the brokenness, all of the injustice, everything that the kingdom of darkness is doing and trying to do in this world in five seconds by mindlessly scrolling. Can I go a little bit further? <laughs> I believe a lot of the way we, especially when you binge on media, I believe a lot of our binging on media, whether that's social media, whether that's your favorite show on Netflix, is actually an attempt to escape the feelings of a broken world. It's actually trying to live in a false reality, right? And we get so attached to the thing that gives us that escape. We are addicted to escaping because we are not brave enough to deal with the pain that comes from the grief of living in a fallen world. So we create a false reality for ourselves to live in, living in denial of what's actually going on, and we don't realize how damaging it is to us spiritually. Much of our social media addiction is actually a destructive coping mechanism for grief that we experience. I have a quote from Andy Mineo, his song, Shame. He says this, I try to stand tall, but these knees are collapsing. Instead of asking for help, these apps will distract me. So lonely, but so many people are friending me while I post, talking on social media, while I post, I hope one day to be as happy as I pretend to be, he says. That not only can we move into this kind of false reality as we step into and fully engage our minds and our hearts and everything into media, we can also pretend to be somebody that we're not. We can begin to trick ourselves in our own lie, in our own pretending of how we are actually doing. When's the last time you were indignant about the harm that sin is causing in our city, in our state, in our world? When's the last time? Do you need there to be media attention around injustice for you to be angry about it? Do you need a news anchor to be telling you that you should be angry? Or is the fact that God's world is being corrupted by the kingdom of darkness enough? Do you need somebody rallying you up for you to hate the things that God hates? Or is knowing and loving our Savior enough to cause you to love what he loves and hate what he hates? We're supposed to be deeply hurt by the brokenness in this world. This is a biblical concept. Of course you're going to be apathetic if you're not angry about what the kingdom of darkness is doing. Of course you're going to be apathetic. If you don't allow yourself to feel and sit with all the brokenness, of course you're not going to care. Of course you're going to just, meh, Netflix, meh. There's no reason for me to have any drive because I don't sense the problem of what's Going on, God is the angriest person in the Bible. No one is angrier than him. Hell exists and is a real place because of his anger against the kingdom of darkness. God is furious. He's furious. The kingdom of darkness is corrupting God's good creation. It's stealing our joy, stealing your joy, stealing our peace and our love. And when we feel ourselves feeling sad, hurt, and angry about it, we ignore it and try to distract ourselves not knowing that it is the, actually, in some ways, the fuel for the mission. That the anger is the fuel for the mission. Numbing the pain and sorrow that's supposed... We, we numb the pain and sorrow that's supposed to lead us into action. So instead of fighting for the kingdom of God, we just try to cope with the pain. 
in ways that distract us, things like pornography, masturbation, alcoholism, gluttony, isolation. We turn to different things to elevate our mood when we feel the grief instead of allowing the grief to motivate us to actually follow and pursue and find our strength in God. Oh, that we would be like David in Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2. When's the last time you cried out to the Lord like this? Verse 1, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. And I, I cry aloud and plead with God for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. He says, I bring my complaints to God and I just pour them out. The complaints I have about everything broken in this world, I just bring them to God. When's the last time you cried out to God like that? When's the last time you poured out your complaint to God? God, this world isn't the way it should be. God, this, there's so many atrocities going on. There's so much death and pain and murder and abuse. God, show mercy on us. Change us, God. Part of the reason this is so difficult is because feeling and expressing your grief requires you making time to just sit still and be free from distractions. There's different things you can do. You can journal, you can write about it, you can talk to someone else about your grief, but it does require us sitting still with our own thoughts, our own feelings. We don't like that. As soon as we get a free moment, we either turn on the screen or turn on music. We are not okay being alone in our own thoughts and feelings, just being present with where we are. Of course you're apathetic. If you don't allow yourself to grieve, even though you live in a world full of corruption and things worthy of grief, do you allow yourself time and space to process your pain and your hurt to God? Do you give yourself that? Do you just pretend like the brokenness in life isn't really that big of a deal? If you do so, you will have no reason to fight. The second way that we proactively fight against Spiritual apathy, and it's very similar to the first. Point number two is grieve your own sin. Point number one was about what the kingdom of darkness is doing in the world. Point number two is about what the kingdom of darkness is doing in your heart. Grieve your own sin. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. David is writing this psalm after a, a series of sin that he has committed. He was, he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, and now he's writing this psalm of repentance. And he tells God, I would come and just offer some sacrifice to you, but that's not really what you were ever after. What you want is my heart. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. David says the worship that you really wanted, the worship that you are really after is a broken heart, that my heart will be broken over my own sin, that I will be contrite. That word means remorseful, that I would experience sadness. Truly worshiping God is pursuing your own grief for your sin and thus repenting and turning from it. David says that's what true worship actually is, to be contrite, to be remorseful, to be broken, to be saddened about our sin. When's the last time you were just broken before God because of your sin? When was the last time you were just broken? God, I'm just coming to you broken, saddened. I've sinned against you. I've offended you. I've hurt myself and others whom you love, whom you made in your image. I think sometimes because we don't want to experience the pain of grieving our sin, we use language that helps us to feel better about it instead of calling it what it is. Yeah, I slipped up. I struggle with that. I've just been wrestling with a lot of temptation. 
haven't been doing well in this area. I'm not saying those are bad things to say. I'm not saying that there aren't times where that's the best way to talk about it. What I'm saying is we need to be asking the question, are we saying that because we don't really want to feel the weight of our sin? Are we saying that because we, we, we don't want the grief, we don't want the sadness, we don't want to be heartbroken over our sin. We just want to kind of brush it under the rug. We want to deny the full degree of our sin. Let's look at how David actually starts that psalm. Psalm 51, we'll look at verses 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. I see it. I know it's there. I'm being honest about it. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When's the last time you saw your sin as pure evil? Pure evil. I found it to be helpful what Paul says in his letter the second letter we have from him to the Corinthians in chapter 7, I'll read verses 9 through 11. They're upset with Paul because he wrote them a letter that was rebuking them. Right? They didn't like that. It made them upset. This is how Paul responds to that. Verse 9, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. He's like, I rejoice. I'm glad that I sent it because the grief led you to repent. So I'm glad about the grief that I caused you. Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. We're talking about fighting against spiritual apathy. Earnestness is sincere and intense conviction. Sincere and intense conviction. Keep reading in verse 10, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation. Indignation is anger aroused by something unjust. He said, look at what indignation this grief caused in you that led you to repent. What fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. Zeal is to have great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. He's saying that this grief actually caused you indignation. It caused you zeal. It caused you to have enthusiasm. He said, I am glad that I caused you grief. I rejoice in it because it led you to repent. And it seems to have awoken them out of their spiritual apathy. Paul is saying, earnestness, sincere and intense conviction, indignation, anger aroused by something unjust, zeal, great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. I know we don't like people to challenge us in our sin because we don't like how it makes us feel. Biblically speaking, you need to experience grief because of what darkness has done. If you're going to be free from the apathy that we have. We need to understand and feel and wrestle with and process and think through and talk about and pray about the brokenness of our world. There is a war, there is a kingdom of darkness that is causing brokenness in God's good creation. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he has enlisted you into his army as one of his warriors. And we fight with the confidence that he is the ultimate warrior. You need the grief that you're trying to suppress. You need it. God uses it to pull you out of your apathy. The thing that you wrongly thought was your worst enemy was actually the fuel that you need to do what God has called you to do. It is actually the medicine that you need. 
We have believed that the grief is our worst enemy when actually the kingdom of darkness is our worst enemy. And the grief motivates us in our fight. One of the hard things about fighting apathy in this way is that we're afraid of our grief. We're afraid of the grief that we feel when we sin. We're afraid of the grief that we feel when we look at and think through everything that the kingdom of darkness has done. It's painful. It's difficult. It's scary. I get it. And that's why I'm glad we don't have to do it alone. And that's why I'm glad we don't have to do it alone. That's why I'm glad that we have a Savior that relates to us in our grief. Isaiah 53.3, I don't, under, I don't know what your theology of Jesus is. I don't know what you consider to be his attributes and what you think about his experience when you think about him. Look at how the prophet Isaiah talks about Jesus. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He calls Jesus a man acquainted with grief. The verb there that's translated acquainted oftentimes is translated to know or knew. It's the same word in the book of Genesis when it says that Adam knew his wife and conceived a son. It's saying Jesus is intimately acquainted with grief. It's saying that Jesus is very familiar with grief, that he has known much more grief than you have ever known in your life. There is no one more qualified, more more ready, more prepared, more faithful to walk with you through the pain of your grief than him. He knows grief better than anybody. You can talk to him about all of your grief. You can pour it out to him and know that he's there, that he's present, that he listens, that he cares, and that he will give you the strength that you need to get through it. And then at the end of it, he's going to take it all away when he comes back for you. He is your strength. He gives you the boldness and the strength. He is your refuge that you take with you as you walk straight into the darkness of your grief. We walk with him into our grief, and we find strength as we're doing so. And he uses the grief to fuel us to fight as he has called us to fight, the good fight of faith. He is the one that has seen every crime, every bit of injustice, every abusive word, every abusive touch, every person that has been enslaved or oppressed, every father and mother that has lost a child, everyone that's ever been neglected or abandoned, every life that has ever been taken too soon. He has seen it all, and he has grieved. He has grieved for thousands of years. He understands your tears. He knows your tears. It is like when the sister of Lazarus came to Jesus after the brother had died. Jesus knew. He knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was fully aware, yet he wept with her. Jesus knows that he's coming back and he's going to take all of your pain away one day. And still now he has compassion with you and he is heartbroken with you. Our relationship with God is such that we are to be heartbroken about the things that break his heart as he is heartbroken about the things that break our hearts. He is a compassionate Savior. He is our strength in everything we need. He doesn't just enlist us as his warriors and tell us to figure it out. He's like, no, I'm going to walk with you through this whole process, and I'll be with you till I take you home in the end. Let me pray for us. Father, Fighting the good fight of faith, it is extremely difficult. It's painful. It's scary. God, we feel, we feel inadequate. God, we, we believe lies that there's no way that we can actually grow in specific areas in our life. We have a real enemy. There's a real darkness that we feel and that we sense. And, Father, I'm, I'm afraid that, we are, that we're too afraid to actually walk through the grief to be the soldiers that you have called us to be. 
Father, I'm afraid that we would honestly just prefer to be distracted from the battle than actually walk into it and fight the good fight of faith that you have called us to. Will you give us boldness? Will you give us strength? Will you cause our hearts to break over the things that break your heart, God? That our life would truly be built on you, our king who leads us triumphantly into battle. God, we need you. God, this is, a, this is a tough one. This is a tough one for many of us in the room right now, God. Will you comfort us? Will you remind us of your presence, of your grace, of your love? We need you, God. We need you so much. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.